With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, yes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is... Hayden Winks, our favorite show of the week. Hayden, we even had it put on like the back burner a little bit. We did, you know, a different one last week here. But as you know, it's the fancy usage show. Help you with your waiver wire. Help put context, performances from last Sunday and Monday and even Thursday into perspective and hopefully understand why and how that production was had. I know you got your booster today. It's a little bit of a flu game. Yes. How you feeling? I feel like I have mesothelioma. I've never had that, but I feel like it's just asbestos <laughs> exposure. I don't know what what is going on to me, but I took a big nap. So if I am coming off a little flatter today, that's all right. That's why I have a co-host and Josh right. is going to carry us. Right. I, I will turn it up to 11 or 12 more so than than my usual. By the way, my my girlfriend thinks I have a on-camera voice. I think I speak exactly the same. I don't know about any of this. I feel like you you have to. If I talked like this all the time, or if I use my like talking to my wife voice, nobody would listen to us. <laughs> Maybe I'm just too energetic. I've always appreciated people who can like let other people finish their sentences before you before you jump in. Like Paul Burmeister, who's awesome on NBC and previous if NFL Network is so great at like laying back, sitting back, and allowing other people to talk. I'm just as soon as a thought comes in my head, I am a uh, I'm interrupting you. Hayden, by the way, I hope you're feeling better because it's a big announcement. We got playoff best ball. You freaking love playoff best ball. As everyone knows, we're here in week 12, getting ready for here for week 13. It sounds a bit early, but why should the people get excited about playoff best ball? Because again, you absolutely love it. Yeah, I might quit this job so I can just go and get some sweat <laughs> and actually be able to play this tournament. It's, I think, the best fantasy game, period. There's so much strategy. The first thing you have to do is you have to know the format and you have to know roster construction to me it's two quarterbacks three running backs five wide receivers but then you also have to play this game of all right how is the nfl seeding structure going to come into play because you can't just draft all the number one seeds or you'll be eliminated from the first round if you only draft the wild card teams well what happens if let's say for example the chiefs who are the number one seed go all the way to the super bowl you're not going to be able to win any money so uh big picture stuff for me it's if you're stacking, and you should always be stacking, especially in this format, grab a team from the AFC, grab a team from the NFC, and hopefully they can win on a, all the way through. And you mm. must be cognizant of 
not stacking the number one seeds in both conferences, or you're going to be eliminated in the first round. Just wanted to announce at the top of the show, maybe at the end we'll look at ADPs and maybe pick out a couple of players or ones that we like and other ones that we want to avoid as well. But just wanted to put that on all of your radars. Go and try it out. And anything you deposit, obviously, if you're a first-time user, use promo code the show, and we will match it. $10, $20, whatever you want to do. But the main attraction for this show is the fantasy usage model. As everyone knows, we're going to talk about running backs, and there's a lot of them. We're going to talk about wide receivers and tight ends as well. So first, kick it off with the running back position. Near the top, we know it's Jonathan Taylor at number one, but Hayden, over the last three weeks, since the week nine bye, Antonio Gibson, 26, 19, 36 touches with a fucking stress fracture in his leg. It's unbelievable. He is putting the team on his back, and it's not even with the best five offensive linemen this team has on their roster. Sam Cosney has been in and out. They're on their fourth string center at times this past weekend. What that says to me is that Washington knows their best path to success, again, despite an injury which we thought would limit him throughout the season, that Antonio Gibson is their most consistent playmaker, and they have made him, really, the identity of this offense after their week off. As I've always said, it's that post-buy sophomore bump for Antonio Gibson, (laughs) and he's been smashing. Right now he's RB2 in fantasy usage, and that doesn't even include the potential for J.D. McKissick missing some time. We saw him leave on the cart late on Monday night football. So he's clearly back in our lives. I don't think he's going to be overly efficient because he has a little knee injury. He has obviously the shin injury, but he's going to get the touches as long as he can stay healthy. And you can't doubt him now because he's been doing it for the last three weeks. So for, for momentarily, you have to be viewing him as at least like a, what, like a top 15 ish running back in all formats. And again, the running back two in usage. And I want to point to this clip here that we're showing on, on the YouTube stream. Because he's untouched. You and I could get four or five yards from here. So it's not just, we believe Antonio Gibson's a good individual talent. In fact, he's being used more and more in the passing game this season than he was last year as well. But it's a lot of these free yards that he's getting. That is a credit to what Washington is doing up front with a bunch of backups. A bunch of backups. And so this works, you know, to a degree against the Bucks, despite, you know, a lack of production. It worked against the Panthers, then it worked against... The Seahawks, I, I don't see them changing from this at all. And when you consider it from like a zoomed out perspective, because that's a, you know, it's kind of predictable. Taylor Heineke, if you ask him to throw 40, 45 times, which they have at points this year, you're going to run into trouble because his arm's going to get you into trouble. But if you ask him to make, I don't know, four, five, six big time throws per game and buy some time and make those fourth down conversions, he can do it. And the rest of the time it is, it's Antonio Gibson. It's, yep. it's, it's great that we're seeing the second round value that he was placed on during fantasy draft season hit in this final stretch that we're all going to remember heading into 2022 as well. Yeah, he would be a league winner if your team wasn't in ninth place if you drafted him. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, he's he's he, he I think he's gonna have a three down workload or close to because Jarrett Patterson is backup is not really at the receiving threat. He was the guy at Buffalo University of Buffalo that had like a billion carries. I'm not sure if he caught too many passes. So hopefully we can see the glimpses of Antonio Gibson being more of the three down back that we were hoping for when we were drafting him in the second round. There's one player that I feel like we mentioned on every single show this summer, and his name is Alexander Madison. Alexander Madison will step in to Dalvin Cook's role here. We believe for the next two to three weeks, that seems to be the timeline for Dalvin Cook to be out, depending on what National Insider you want to read first. 
We've already seen Alexander Madison have two great starts this season. 51 of 57 running back carries in those two contests. All 15 running back targets. This is a rushing game that we know can work despite, again, some offensive line shuffling around there. Running back insurance, you can rank all those players. And Alexander Madison, for me, and I believe you, will be at the top of the list in terms of players once they enter the, the number one role. We view them as a top 10 option. Absolutely. Dalvin Cook was the RB3 in fantasy usage over the last month. And then in the two games where Madison started, he had 26 and 20 expected half PPR points. And I think he can play a little bit. He's not just some scrub oh, yeah. backup that we don't know if he's good or not. I think that he is at more than fine at being the number one. I looked at the Vikings uh, uh, neutral pass rates in the games that Dalvin Cook missed just to see like, hey, what if they just like go super pass heavy? Not really the case. Their neutral pass rate stayed the same. I think that this is just an identity of this team. And I think that they view Alexander Madison as functional enough. So for me, he's easily a top 10 running back. Uh, he might lose a little bit of work to our guy, Kenny Nwongu, uh, in, in the past game, potentially. You want to pronounce it that way. Yeah, that's fine. I don't know, who knows how you pronounce that? But <laughs> he's been balling out. He Every single time he touches the ball, it's a 90-yard touchdown. So maybe they yeah. should sprinkle him in. But yeah, either way, Alexander Madison, top, top 10. Yeah, I think... Kene has two kickoff return touchdowns on eight possibilities on eight chances this season. Seems uh, good. If he touches the ball maybe five times per game the rest of the way here, that means he'll have more touches in the NFL than he did his entire collegiate career. We loved him. I think we introduced him to Mike Renner here on this very show last April when Mike Renner had written up about 300 players at, at that time, a freak athlete. And we know that the Vikings, in fact, I spoke with their, with their directors of analytics a couple of years ago. And when, because we know at like multiple levels, at wide receiver, at running back, Mike Boone, uh, at defensive line, at linebacker, they're so good at identifying athletes and caring about those and, and developing them. And so I asked him like why when the rest of the league isn't catching up to that. And he says that like the analytics department gives each positional coach a top 20 or top 30 list of the best athletes, regardless of where they went to school in the entire draft class. And so that position coach, whether it be running back, whether it be edge rushers, whatever it is, will dig into it and find like one or two or three of the guys that he really, really likes. And it's worked out for them. And they get like really passionate about it because while they might not know the athletic testing before then, they then get to figure out like, oh, we found them and we want to cultivate that. And they spend a, a, a pretty, pretty penny on Kanae and Wong considering the production, but not to take anything away from Alexander Madison, who again, when a back is healthy and that they believe in, this is a single back offense. It really is. And yep. they would have to kind of change their identity to give someone else even close to 10 touches. And Alexander Madison was a ridiculous value this summer for what he could bring in this exact situation. And again, part of that is because of what he put out there in what week four, week six, and then that lone start. And then people forgot of what he did in, in week 17. I totally am with you that he's a, a good individual talent as well. Yep. He can play. Okay, we'll keep moving. That's a little story time with Josh. Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin has gotten consistent work over the last six games. Uh, this past Sunday against the Panthers, 17 carries for 51 yards, another three receptions. He's not getting a lot of yardage totals, though, Hayden. And so it's all reliant on him finding the end zone. I mean, he got two scores this past Sunday. Is, is that a good way of framing it? Because, you know, a player getting that many touches and carries the running back position is difficult to find. 
But behind that offensive line, again, it's all about if he crossed the goal line or not, correct? Yeah, the expected fantasy usage model is what would an average player in an average offense produce? And we know that Miles Gaskin most likely is a below average NFL starter, and we know his environment is a below average unit. So he's not going to live up to the fantasy usage model ranking, but he is the RB6 in usage over the last month. We are still waiting to hear back from Malcolm Brown, but even if uh, he returns, it seems like uh, Philip Lindsay is going to be the person that kind of mixes in. But at the end of the day, Miles Gaston can catch passes if they need him to. And he handled both of the inside the five opportunities last week. So that gets him into the top 20, top 24. Even if, even if we know that his 15 carries and five receptions are, are only going to live up to like 55 yards. I searched and searched for this play in all 22 on Twitter and I couldn't find it. Um, but both of his touchdowns inside the five yard line, Hayden, were both wildcat runs. Yep. They've like are eliminating Tua getting behind there and turning around and hanging it off to him. And neither one had action in terms of a handoff to someone else. It was basically a lead block with Preston Williams on one play. And then the second touchdown, there was no action or anything. And it was just a hat and hat. And they were able to, you know, create enough space for him, for him to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, Miles Gaskin is a tough player because I think what you're saying in terms of an average offense, this is the type of usage we would want, but this is a bottom three, bottom three offensive line. And so uh, I'm going to have a difficult time predicting what he can do either on pick em slips or whatever on a week to week basis. Um, but those yardage totals, I kind of like the unders each and every week. Yep. James Connor, your personal favorite. So Chase Edmonds, has been on injured reserve for three weeks, but not three games. So I believe if I have my head around the rules correctly, that means he is not eligible to return this week and is eligible to return in week 14 since Arizona just had their bye. What we've seen from James Conner, all three games with Colt McCoy, 21 touches on average in each, but I also feel like we haven't been able to see like the true ceiling of production that could be possible with like one loan back in this offense because, again, it has been Colt McCoy and not Kyler Murray, and we should get that this weekend. So James Conner had a season-high 23 expected half PPR points in week 11. We kind of forgot about it because of the bye, and getting Kyler Murray back should be good for James Conner because they're going to be at the goal line more. I think that he's underrated as a player. And over the last month, he's the RB three overall on RB seven fantasy usage. So I don't know how you can't rank him like what top five. Like, I think that's where he's kind of trending. I haven't looked at the matchups this week, but he's, I mean, he's an absolute must start uh, by any definition. Chicago bears this weekend, a team that has seen Hakeem Hicks go in and out. Khalil Mack on injured reserve. They've been getting beat up. The bears have. So, uh, that's a really good one. Again, as more and more of these teams kind of show themselves as not true, true, true contenders, the Cardinals with their front five blockers and how consistent their defense is playing, even without J.J. Watt, get more and more on our radar. I think maybe you and I are both kind of just waiting to see once again how they look with Kyler and DeAndre. And once we get that refresher, then we're going to buy in even more and more. I looked at uh, from Sports Info Solutions. I haven't posted this, but I removed like uh, – plays behind the line of scrimmage and like screens. And I just like rank the quarterbacks. So it's like, if you throw a screen, like that's not really the quarterback doing anything. And just to like, see how valuable each quarterback is Kyler Murray this year. It's like not even close, like clearly the best passer. Even if you remove 
all those Rondell Moore screen, uh, screens. So yeah, I can't wait for him. Hopefully his ankle injury is legit fine now. Cause it was the one that we don't typically like to see. Um, but he's been absolute, absolutely balling. James Conner is going to be the beneficiary of that. Yeah. And I do want to bring up those Rondell screens because he had 11 receptions. I believe the last time that we did this show, the last time that they played, I think part of that was, you know, in between the twenties where, Chase Edmonds would have gotten some of those receptions as well, but it was all just an extension of the running game. Part of me also believes that that gets eliminated. And that was mainly just with Colt in the ball game and Kyler were not have to rely on that as much. And so I actually think a few of those opportunities now will go to James Conner as well. And we'll see, you know, Rondale go back to his normal usage of four or five targets per game. Yeah, I think that makes sense. We'll talk about the Cardinals receivers in like 30 minutes. Okay. Handling something on Slack. Here we go. Over to a backup running back who was filling in for an electric factory in DeAndre Swift. His name is Jamal Williams. I can see on your fancy usage model, DeAndre Swift is at running back eight usage and running back 11 overall in production over the last few weeks. Um, we have seen DeAndre Swift get home in garbage time third and fourth quarter, especially in the receiving game where he has been absolutely electric. I mean, his force missed tackles there have been unreal 18 so far this season. And in recent weeks, we've also seen him be outstanding as a runner. Jamal Williams, I would say his best attribute is as a runner and forcing missed tackles as well. But in terms of breaking tackles in open field and as a receiver, it's 18 to three, just three force missed tackles for Jamal Williams this season. What I'm trying to say is I don't know if it's as easy to put in Jamal Williams where DeAndre Swift was getting the production because they, they produce it in different ways. Like he is not nearly as explosive as Swift in those departments. Yeah. They just don't have anywhere else to throw the ball to, you know, it's like, it just comes down to Josh Reynolds and these other guys, um, so I think he's just going to get all the touches that you need. And this team wants to run the ball, period. And they are super adamant about their offensive line. And I think that Jamal Williams could run between the tackles a little bit better than Swift. So I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't see at least 15 touches plus all of the uh, goal line work. And I think that because of that, you have to view him as a top 24 running back at the very least. Yeah, and the latest on Jonathan Swift, and this comes directly from Dan Campbell, quote, it's hard to say that you'd see DeAndre Swift with his shoulder injury playing in week 13 against the Vikings. They have the Vikings and the Broncos. Again, hat on hat, the Lions have a really good offensive line in terms of run blockers, but I, I would be wary of expecting that same top 12 running back production that DeAndre Swift was getting because, again, when you just look back and think in your head of all the moments that stand out from Swift this season, they are – you know, 30-yard gains, 40-yard, 70-yard touchdowns. And Jamal Williams has, I think, two or three 15-plus-yard plays all season long compared to, like, 15 for for DeAndre Sift. It's a huge, huge difference. But we're still playing them because of the opportunity. Volume. Sort by volume first and then work out the rest of it. Well, speaking of volume, let's jump in over the Panthers. Christian McCaffrey. And I have no idea how the Panthers have been dealing with his injuries over the last few years. If you want to go through that with a fine tooth comb, you will find some interesting developments there. Even on Sunday, first half dealing with an ankle issue, seeing him mess with it in the sideline. Then they put him back out there for at least a couple plays. 
in the second half and now it's a very vague out for the season. Second time on IR, that means he's automatically out. Anyways, now steps in Chuba Hubbard and Amir Abdullah. How would you immediately view which one you would prioritize and just the backfield and the offense as a whole? So I think the usage that Chuba Hubbard had early on is probably not going to be the same for a couple of reasons. They've added Amir Abdullah and later on when uh, Chuba was uh, starting, he was starting to lose more snaps to Amir Abdullah. And since that, the Panthers have lost even more offensive linemen. So this bottom five offensive line is getting worse. And I think that they were just talking about Cam Newton. Uh, the, the coaching staff was like, what do you want Cam Newton to do last week? He was under pressure every single time. So I think that Chuba Hubbard's going to be more of like a flex play. And I think that he's going to split time, maybe not 50-50, but if the Panthers are down two, two, three scores, I think it's going to be Amir Abdullah. And Chuba Hubbard's more of going to be the home run threat between the tackles. Um, but I'm not willing to just copy paste the production he had early on the season just because Correct. Amir Abdullah is there. Yeah, I think it's a totally different team. Not only have Cam Newton in there, but the offensive line issues. It's just a worse team overall. And I know, as you're saying, like there are games that Chuba Hubbard had multiple of 24 carries. Remember those press conferences when both Matt Rule and Joe Brady said like, oh, we got to run the ball more. I think even in those and on that production alone, he got there. Um, but I think Chuba Hubbard's a replaceable talent. Like there's nothing yes. there that really stands out to me as like a calling card or a trump card. That's so different than, let's say, at the top with Alexander Madison. Like, Madison, to me, is a great individual talent. A good individual talent would not put Chuba in there. And in fact, since then, like when CMC came back into the lineup and then needed a breather, they relied on Amir Abdullah to create those explosive plays. Like, those option routes against linebackers are now a main identity of this team. And I don't know if that's going to go away, and Chuba can't run those. Amir Abdullah no. is, is the trusted player for that. And so I think that they're on a bye this week. And then after that, they get a game that should be close, I think, in the Falcons. So maybe that's, quote, unquote, more of a Chuba Hubbard game, even though I wouldn't rely on the Panthers to be anywhere near like a neutral game script right now. But after that, and maybe for the rest of the season, if you're talking about explosive plays and receptions and working negative game script, I'm leaning more towards Amir Abdullah as the player I trust more so than Chuba Hubbard, despite those early season opportunities. Yeah, even if, let's say, Chuba Hubbard's the early down guy, they get to the goal line for their two carries per game down there. Then they have, what, the best red zone quarterback in NFL history to run the ball? So, like, I don't think it's going to matter too much. Uh, We'll talk about it once we can see the Week 14 results, but I'm guessing he's going to be, a if you're starting him, your team's F candidate. No one is like Debo Samuel around the league. Joe Brady is not Kyle Shanahan as a play caller. The Panthers' offensive line is nowhere close to what the San Francisco so bad. offensive line is. But I would love to see some manufactured touches in the backfield for DJ Moore. I mean, they did it last year with, with Curtis Samuel quite a bit. DJ is now the best player with the ball in his hands on that team. And we've seen none of that this year, despite you know Curtis having that, that opportunity and role last year. So I wonder if we'll hopefully see more of that. But as we talked about on Slack, DJ Moore is fifth in targets per game in the NFL right now, which is... uh stunning to me is it per game or total per game damn that's, that's maybe impressive. seventh in per game but fifth in total he's 9.3 per game it's wild it's wild okay speaking of the 49ers let's jump to their backfield now everyone knows 
that Eli Mitchell is the trusted running back. We've been there for a while because he is the most explosive element. But overall, this team, speaking of like kind of two different seasons with Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Trent Williams, everyone else, they are on an absolute roll. And what Eli Mitchell is doing, running back 15 usage, as you see, running back 15 fancy points, that could keep going up and up and up the more his finger heals, despite, obviously, Debo Samuel still being a stunning player out of the backfield, too. So he had a season-high 20.8 expected half PPR points last week, despite the injury. So um, I think some of that can be explained by Jamichael Hasty being sidelined with that ankle injury. I don't know what his status is. Um, for week 13 and beyond, but he ran 16 of 30 routes and we're starting to slowly see that crank up a little bit. I think like the big takeaway is I think we know now that Trey Lance is probably not going to be much of a candidate to like mix in at the goal line. So all of those touches are going to go to Eli Mitchell. And if Debo Samuel misses a week or two because of his own injury, I think that even just adds Eli Mitchell's um, just another point in his direction as at least what an upside RB two right now. There's like the way that Trent Williams is playing and this offense is just absolutely cooking. Even if the quarterback is playing so, so this team is so dangerous. And we're going to talk about this more when, uh, when we get to Debo Samuel, but how Kyle is forcing everyone to hesitate. Like, look at this outside room that Eli Mitchell has to run into. No one sees this in the NFL. Look at all that. Look at all of that room he is creating. And then you have one of the best blockers on the move, which is tough to land a target in a cornerback. And he just continues to push him down the field with, with George Kittle, with how this offense is operating at the moment. Again, we understand that Debo is getting some touchdowns and they're throwing the ball more and more to, you know, some of these great playmakers. And I still don't believe that Eli Mitchell receiving work that we saw in that one week is feasible moving forward. But if they are hot, like they are right now, then you can easily see 20 touches a game, 20 carries a game from him because they're going to be an avalanche towards opponents and wear them down. And Eli is clearly the most trusted player because Jeff Wilson is a lead blocker at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that Jeff Wilson's earned more opportunities. He looks like half as fast as Eli Mitchell does. One more to say in this offense. And I can't wait to talk about it when we talk about Depot Samuel. Okay. Split backfield in Denver and two Hayden that are still very productive. Melvin Gordon, 17 carries for 83 yards this past weekend. Javante Williams, 17 carry, 17 touches, I should say, for 111 yards. Um, this is a run-first team, as we will talk about with their wide receiver production as well. I still see free Javante tweets out there, Hayden. Where are we landing on rest of season or maybe even just week 13 view with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon? Well, I can see them flipping the roles down the stretch, but last week coming out of the bye, Melvin Gordon still started. He saw 42% of the snaps and he had almost 14 expected half PPR points. So it was basically the same workload. Uh, Javante Williams had a really big explosive play, but Melvin Gordon at the same time kept churning out six, seven, eight yard carries himself. So I think that um, it's going to be just a frustrating team, a frustrating offense for fantasy because I can count six players that deserve touches. And this is a team that's second last uh, in neutral offensive pace. And they just want to win games with their defense because it's Vic Fangio, that head coach. So to me, it's like two separate conversations. I think that Javante Williams is going to be very good. He's still learning the game, but it's so obvious how explosive he is and his metrics are off the charts. So 
I understand why people want more Javante Williams, but I think that Melvin Gordon's still just going to be kind of a little bit of a thorn. So right now, fantasy usage, they're both in like the 20s. That's how they've been the entire year. And I think that if you're expecting more than that, you're probably, it's probably wishful thinking, but um, I wouldn't lose all hope because a couple, a little injury or Javante like clearly dominating, we can see a a pretty fun stretch um, over like the last like three weeks. You said it perfectly. I have nothing else to say there. Uh, let's talk about the, Bron- the the Cowboys backfield. Ezekiel Elliott, Hayden, your favorite thing in the world. We have a freaking source off. First of all, with Ian Rappaport. The Cowboys may alter Ezekiel Elliott's touches as he deals with a bone bruise in his knee. Then, straight from the source, in Jerry Jones, it's different. Harry Jones says Ezekiel Elliott will have a serious load against the New Orleans Saints. No rest for Ezekiel Elliott. I think you and I, speaking of players who needs to be freed, we love Tony Pollard and what he has done in recent weeks in terms of his production, nine touches for 70 yards, 98 yards and 18 touches in a blowout win, 14 touches for 68 yards and a close loss to the Raiders. He's looked fantastic. Zeke, though, getting paid, still going to be a part of this. How would you handle or how do you view those two at this moment with their fantasy usage and their production as it coincides with that? So with Zeke right now, since the buy, and that's kind of around the time where his knee started bugging him, he's averaging 13.2 expected half DPR points. Before that, it was up to 16. So it's like a three-point difference. And I think that's probably fair. I wouldn't be viewing him as the top five back that he was for a certain stretch because they're using Tony Pollard. Obviously, it's like all these Thursday night games in a row for the Cowboys. But like, what does that mean? Like, if you're in season long, like, what are the chances that you have two running backs that are better than Zeke Elliott? Like, even over the last month with his role reduced and the Cowboys losing games and playing probably the worst football that they have all season, he's still RB19 in fantasy usage, RB20 in half PPR points. So like, if you have Alexander Madison and like James Conner, then sure, you can bench him. But like, for most people, Zeke's in the lineup and he's been practicing in full back-to-back days. And I'm going to go off the, the full practice injury reports rather than like Ian Rappaport or something like that. They play on Thursday. They play yep. the New Orleans Saints. You and I have outlined for the last few weeks that the Saints have really tanked in terms of their defensive success, especially in runs against 11 personnel. Um, spread them out, run down your throat. Uh I think Kellen Moore is smart enough to do some of that, despite, you know, Amari Cooper, and we'll get into that in a moment with the Cowboys wide receivers not being out there. But I would expect this to be, as we famous last words, a game that both of these backs can potentially get production as well. Yeah, I always I always think that people overrate what Tony Pollard's doing from the box score perspective. Mm-hmm. He's been like, like right now, he's the RB uh, 39 in fantasy over the last month. And he's been about that the entire season. So like, yeah. If you're starting Tony Pollard for his, you're hoping that he gets a goal line carry like on a on a sweep or something like that. But like realistically, if you're if you're starting Tony Pollard, your team's pretty effed. So I think it's it you have to just trust it's probably going to be what like 65, 35 in terms of Zeke, and that's a little bit lower than it was early on. But it's like not enough where you can like completely cross him out of your fantasy lineups. Yeah, just just based on what he's going to do, unless you think that the Cowboys are going to blow out the Saints to the tune of what they did against the Falcons, which is that's the game that like Tony Pollard got 18 touches for 90 yards. That's not going to be repeatable. Then you're looking for a touchdown or an explosive play. And 
you know, Tony Pollard's absolutely talented enough to do either one of those. But in terms of like the predictable usage, and if we can then coincide that with the owner of what he's saying of how much work Zeke is going to get, we still have to go back to the less explosive player, one who's still great in pass pro, but one who is also going to get the short yardage touchdowns, the short yard of work, and get more work in general. And that's Ezekiel Elliott. I'm with you. Gary Jones loves Zeke. He's getting the rock. Devontae Freeman. 16 carries in each of the last two weeks. That turned into only 52 yards on Sunday here, Hayden. Uh, We know that that was not, when I went back and watched it, Lamar Jackson's best performance, but they won. Uh, It's so weird to see just that offense operate differently in terms of, again, I'll use the term avalanche that they have been over the last few years running the football. But I will say there's like one moment each and every week that Devontae Freeman looks flashy. He looks a bit young. He looks a bit explosive. But again, unless he's getting a touchdown right now, the big yardage totals that we had seen with J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram and a few players in the past, it's just not going to work out right now for the Ravens rushing attack. So he's RB20 fantasy fantasy usage over the last month, but Latavius Murray returned. He actually started over Devonta Freeman, and he's kind of like the passing down back. Um, Devonta Freeman basically was not very involved until literally the last like five minutes of the game when the Ravens were starting to run out the clock. When I went back and rewatched that game, it was so pass heavy for, for yep. the Ravens, and it was super hit and miss. Like Lamar had a couple ridiculous interceptions a couple of ridiculous big time throws but until they want to go back to their run first approach i don't see how you can commit to either one of these running backs i think that we always view the ravens as this like running back factory because it's a run first offense well like half of the production is with lamar jackson and over like the last two years when i started using fantasy usage metrics when I rank it by teams, like all the running backs combined, the Ravens every single time are like bottom 10. And I think that there's like this like difference between like the perception of like what you're getting from a Ravens running back versus yeah. like the reality of the situation. Like so often, even when it's like J.K. Dobbins, like two backs and Lamar Jackson's getting some goal line work and they never pass to their running backs because that would be a waste because Lamar Jackson's a better scrambler than what the Ravens can get out of the screen game. So I always think these, these Ravens running backs are just a little bit overrated. Now, and that's a lot different for a team that you know is going to rank or has in the past near the top in carries versus like the New England Patriots, for example, where like their backfield is where all the rushing yes. production is coming from. Fair. Yes, and and it's the quarterback. Like Mac Jones isn't scrambling. Lamar Jackson is. Let's jump. We'll get to the Patriots running backs in just a little bit. Cordero Patterson. I give up. I give up too. We love him, but... He's just defying all the odds. Breakout at age 30 slash 31 at virtually a new position. And now he spits in the face of high ankle sprains everywhere that shut down players for weeks and goes out there on Sunday and has 16 carries Hayden for 108 yards, two catches for 27 yards. It's like he was never hurt. Yeah, he's just absolutely taking me to town with the fantasy usage model. <laughs> I mean, it's not even close. Like some some players, every single year, there'll be a couple players I'm like, okay, regression's got to come in. But Cordell Patterson, literally every single week, I didn't even want to bring up the fantasy usage model with him because he's like RB26 in usage and then still top five in production. It's been like that the entire year. So um, going back into the workshop, going to go back to school, 
going to have to go um, pay for Lincoln Riley's contract with the Masters in Statistics at USC. And in that, I'm going to learn how to add a little Cordero Patterson variable so my model can be mm-hmm. at least a little bit closer. With a Debo asterisk as well. Yes. Like I even looked at his explosive plays and they were just like good football plays. Like yeah. a 21 personnel hits the edge, breaks the arm tackle by the cornerback, veers at full speed. The wide receiver got a block in the safety and injured wing guard. And boom, that opens up some more free space down the field. And then the touchdown around the same drive, 21 personnel again, and Andrew Wingard, who is turning into one of the worst run defending safeties in the league, whiffs and he finds himself in the end zone. And then they motion him out into the as a wide receiver, sees off coverage versus 21, stop on the far hash, make you miss, and boom, chunk gain again. I, I'm just amazed that he was able to do all of that. And the Falcons look so much better. They look competent with him on the field. And without it, like they can't get Cal Pitts going, they can't get Matt Ryan going, going, they can't get anything. Like he is so critical to any success that they have this year that my brain is already thinking, okay, what are we going to think about Cordero Patterson heading into next year when he's 31? 32 and I got no answer. Like I'm glad we have a whole off season to have that question every single show. So yeah, it's one of the best stories of the year. I think I'll be really intrigued by what his initial ADP is. I, I would bet it's hovers around round two, early round two territory. We'll see. Titans backfield. Dontrell Hilliard plus Deontay Foreman, 12 carries for 131 yards and a score for Dontrell Hilliard, 19 carries for 109 yards for Deontay Foreman. Both had brutal fumbles, but both did that in a losing effort by 23 points against the New England Patriots. What did you pluck from that performance and that game for what could happen for both moving forward, especially with Jerry McNichols maybe getting back in the fold? Yeah, I couldn't believe how many open lanes that the Titans had because the, their offensive line had not been playing well. And we thought that the Patriots uh, defensive line and linebackers would be able to plug things up. But that was not the case. Dontrell Hilliard right now, RB 23 fantasy usage. He actually started the game. He split snaps pretty evenly. And that includes carries, um, but he is the preferred passing down back. The issue is like you said, when Jeremy, Jeremy Nichols comes in, is he kind of taking over that job? So um when in doubt, I really don't want either of, the, either of these guys on your team. But maybe it gets a little bit better when Julio comes back and when A.J. Brown comes back and we can at least project uh, a, a couple more goal line opportunities. I, I was actually impressed by Dontrell as a as a runner, too, not just as yeah. like a passing game player. that We saw him a couple, like maybe last week, more so in that pass-catching role. Because Deontay Foreman is kind of like a pick-up-the-yards-that-are-blocked-for-you type player. And... While the Titans offensive line is abysmal in pass pro, it's pretty good as a run blocking unit and still is. And a lot of these carries, they're not getting touched until five yards down the field, especially one for Don Trujillo. Then he breaks, you know, tackles and carries people for another nine, 10 yards after that. It's to the point where I'm actually questioning who's the better runner between him and Foreman. And I, I do think that you're on the right track here with with Jeremy Nichols returning in that pass catching role because he did it for all season long. But then you read it like, the quotes that Mike Vrabel has for Dontro Hilliard, how like he's worked so hard for this opportunity and done all the right things. And now that he's getting it, he's taking it. And it's also a team that just sucks right now overall too. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot of questions in a situation in the end that probably isn't going to produce winning football. But again, two backs with over a hundred yards, 100, 240 combined last week. And it's something to, to note. It's just going to be unpredictable. Yeah. Their neutral pass rate last week, absolutely tanked 
Like yeah. it was in the fifties the last couple of weeks and then it tanked all the way down. So uh, something to monitor. I was looking uh Deonta Foreman, 16.8 expected half EPR points last week. So mm. uh, we'll just have to follow the news and the injury reports. And all. So we'll have a better idea for the preview. If you need to run and get a package too, Hayden, just, uh, just let me know. I know the cats. I got the freaking <laughs> mail. I got a new microphone coming. I got the freaking booster. All hell's breaking loose. That might be it. Don't set up the microphone while, uh, while we're doing the show though. No. Patriots running backs. We're back here again. Damien Harris, Ramondre Stevenson. If I can remember correctly, it was series by series. The team Russian production is awesome. But unless either gets two touchdowns at this point in a single game, it's unlikely that either hits running back one status. That's absolutely fair. Damien's touchdown run was awesome, bouncing yes. off people. Ramondre's like 16-yard run that he had, that he was stopped like three yards and six yards and nine yards and twisting and turning and doing all that stuff. Very good. And this is who the Patriots want to be. They have figured out who they want to be. But again, Hayden, there's no ceiling for either right now that is predictable. Yeah, Damian Harris started. He rotated drives just as he did the week prior. And then there was a couple like third in threes from the four yard line. And even though they were near the goal line, that was still um, Brandon Bolden that entered the game. So it's a very defined role um, when it comes to fantasy usage. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson in the last two games with Harris back, 7.1 and 7.9 expected half PPR points, which means He's basically unplayable. And then Damian Harris had uh, 10.2 last week, um, which is like, I mean, you're pretty screwed if you're starting him too. So it's, it's they use the running backs a lot and there is a ceiling to chase. But like when you're literally just rotating drives and it's not like performance based, it's hard to see the ceiling just in, like unless you just got really lucky and yep. two of your drives happen to be the touchdown drives. Ming Han brought this up in the chat and I was about to bring it up too. Next week, or this week, I should say, it's at the Bills, then it's at the Colts, then it's home against the Bills. Um, the Bills now just got back Starla Tutele off the COVID list, which was a big factor the last few weeks, especially against Jonathan Taylor. Um, I, the Patriots know who they want to be, and we're going to see like strength versus strength in those matchups. But again, when it's a good defense versus a good rushing offense – uh, big time, big time points. So we might've seen like the best of this backfield already as like we get to the final weeks of your fancy playoffs and, and best ball playoffs as well. Yeah. But I love them. Love the Patriots. The, the two runs, I mean, Damian Harris on that touchdown run was awesome. Even the, the play before that, because I knew he scored a touchdown, but I wasn't watching. I thought that was going to be the one because he was trucking people yeah. on that one too. It's, it's two running backs that just like want to like run right over your face. And like, it's, yeah. it's so cool to see and we talked about this more on, on the Sunday show, which we turned to power rankings a little bit too, but how much they struggled early in the season with their offensive line woes and fumbles and things of like that. You and I talked a lot about how they were putting more responsibility and they should put even more on Mac Jones. And like at one point spreading out with three wide receivers was their best avenue for success. And now where they have six offensive linemen that are really good, two really good running backs as well. Now Mac is comfortable in those moments where he, he is asked to make plays and, and throw down the field. And so to me, that's like not the trajectory of where they wanted the season to go, but because of those early missteps and what they had to put in his shoulders, it's like a perfect situation for them to succeed in right now. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been a pretty cool story to follow. Okay. One more backfield or two more backfields and then we'll move on to wide receivers. 42 minutes. This show flies. Clyde Edwards, he 
12 carries for 63 yards his last time out. You and I have both said it. His best opportunity for points is, is running the football. He doesn't break tackles. He doesn't make anyone miss. He puts his head down, follows his blockers that are very good, and that leads to production. And he gets the lightest boxes in the NFL, and that yes. there's a reason for that, and we can project that moving forward. Uh, if you just look at his like last like three or four healthy games, and we're talking about like a low end RB one, like the first two games were abysmal, and like I get it, he doesn't look flashy, he's not doing the things we want to. I will not be surprised if he's a top twelve running back down the stretch. I think it's like totally possible. I think we saw what Daryl Williams can do, and I think that Daryl Williams could play on passing downs a little bit. But no question, Ceh could run between the tackles. I think at a pretty decent level, and yeah. if defenses are going to try to do this cover two stuff the rest of the season, I think there's going to be a couple games where the Chiefs say, screw it, here's 20 carries, and I think they're going to be very successful. This offensive line, pretty good. I mean, run blocking, just big-time dudes, and I think that the the needle's gone too far against CH. Just because he's not breaking tackles in space doesn't mean that he can't see goal line opportunities on the best offense uh, in the NFL. Yeah, the process of picking CEH where he's the number one rushing running back on the team that is theoretically one of the best offenses in the league, that looked like a bad take for most of the year. But like for the last six so or weeks, it could absolutely be the case that like at the very least, again, you're getting a running back that gets 15 touches on a really good offense. And to your point on the offensive line, the two rookies, Trey Smith is top 10 in run block yes. at his position, according to PFF. Creed Humphrey is the number one overall center. In the NFL. I was looking at last night because I was watching D. Eskridge, and I just remember Tutu Atwell uh, was put on IR earlier this year. You know, one older prospect in in Eskridge, one guy who weighed 149 pounds. uh, We're taking seven spots ahead of Creed Humphrey. And then when you watch the Rams struggle blocking Kenny Clark up front, uh, yeah. I mean, if you lean into a strength, and as you get to the playoffs and having some success, it would only make sense to lean into – the best part of your team right now. And a lot of that is the run blocking for the chiefs, which is pretty crazy to say considering last season. Okay. Trey, Trey Smith fell in the draft because of like a medical issue. Right. And he, he was thought of, I think as a uh, early caliber player, I think he dropped for reasons that weren't his fault. So um, there's a lot more talent on this offensive line than I think a lot of people are giving credit for. Yeah. And I was trying to find my uh, Creed Humphrey tweet of what he looks like and how he's like the most athletic player in this past draft class here he goes boom i mean look at this guy this is this is athleticism personified he really was too like jason kelsey type straights creed humphrey has and he's a bowling ball former wrestler okay we'll close out the running back spot with devin singletary 15 carries for the bills dominant win over the northern saints he had 44 yards matt Breida now if you want to call it 1A, 1B, whatever, it's an injection of juice. So for a team that, like some that we've talked about, doesn't have just a lot of pure rushing production, how are you handling Devin Singletary and or Matt Breida right now? Well, I don't love it, but Devin Singletary at least started. He played 65% of the snaps, 10.2 expected half PPR points. So if you're in a really deep league and Zach Moss is a healthy scratch again, then you could do worse. You can't do much worse, but you could do a little bit worse. Matt Breed is just going to be there as the explosive guy. I think throw a screen to him every once in a while, but I think that it's going to be Devin Singletary if Zach Moss is healthy scratched. All right. Before we get there, everyone, 
like, and subscribe to the show. We appreciate you all joining us here on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and twice on Sundays. Again, game preview show later on this week. Then Sunday morning, we have our start sit show. Uh, we're going to do a little more game preview stuff in there as well. And then Sunday night, we'll be back to live and doing power rankings and replaying the games and performances. So thank you for helping us to get over 8,000 subscribers on YouTube. And we're still on the trail, the path to 10,000 and then 100,000 just shortly, shortly. We're, we're going to have an announcement on the YouTube channel. It's pretty insane. So, Oh, yeah. That's coming a teaser. Up. That's coming up too. All right. Wide receiver time. Look how spiffy we are. I guess we have to start because you sent me this list, Hayden, with the uh, freaking Steelers wide receivers. Now, I understand it because Deontay Johnson is the wide receiver one in fantasy usage. It's unreal what he has done in the last three weeks in terms of crazy target totals. 13, 13, 14. Third in targets per game on the season. Nine receptions, 95 yards. But do they deserve it? Does he deserve to top any list right now with how the Steelers offense is just abysmal at once? Tear my eyes out when I when I have to view them, Hayden. You don't have to watch the Steelers to start Deontay and Chase Claypool and fancy. Claypool's and, wide receiver seven? Yeah, said, that's why we had to talk about him. That's, I build these lists because I'm here to shock the people. And, and Chase Claypool, wide receiver seven fantasy usage over the last month, wide receiver 27 per game. Big Ben is awful, but with uh, Pat Fryermuth, he's in the concussion protocol. No Juju Smith. Uh, Eric Ebron's hurt. Like, where's the ball going to go? And... We've seen the Steelers just dink and dunk all the way down the field. And like Chase Claypool can play. Deontay can play. I've You can do worse by a lot. And I think that Chase Claypool is somebody down the stretch, especially like this schedule yeah. kind of opens up a little bit. Deontay and Chase Claypool could be um, pretty big smashes over the next couple of weeks. Okay. We are 49 minutes into the show. Let me try to put this opportunities into perspective because I have a lot of questions. One, Deontay, if you're looking and watching on the YouTube channel, so many of these opportunities are near the line of scrimmage on the left. Not going to call those useless or hollow or anything like that, but a dot does matter in those. Yes. Yes. Chase Claypool. It's if he sees single high safety, Chase Claypool, as you can see in the top, right? I mean, this passing chart from, a blowout loss to the Cincinnati Bengals is a perfect description of Ben Roethlisberger and what he is right now. Single high safety stuff, then Chase Claypool gets an opportunity on the outside. But what then I saw what the Bengals were doing against him was a third and six. Bengals put like seven players in the box. They make it look like man coverage. So then pre-snap, Ben thinks, okay, I have an ISO route on the outside. That's where I'm going to look. Then on the snap, because we know Ben does not want to do anything post-snap. He wants to get rid of the ball immediately. They drop everyone and only keep three rushers. So he freaks out, freaks out, and then throws the ball one yard short of the line of scrimmage on third and six. So like, yep, everyone is figuring this out with what the Steelers are doing right now. And so it's, to me, not preventing Deontay Johnson from getting this volume because that's sustainable each and every week. That is absolutely proven. And we've talked about this previously, but it's going to limit the ceiling for Chase Claypool because in those opportunities where his offensive line does hold up, Ben is not getting to that second and third option down the field. And instead he's just lobbing it up to chase Claypool for 50, 50 balls. And then it's hopefully the alpha talent can win those. And that's like the win or loss for us to play him each and every week. Fair. Yeah, but he's, he was super efficient last year and he hasn't been that efficient this year. And I don't think, 
I think like he can easily just get really hot down the stretch. Like the usage is there and I know that he can play. So obviously big Ben being really bad is one thing, but a dot factors in, I factor in how close they are to the sideline. All of that's factored in to the model. We, we, we bet on the model because we have our own biases and chase Claypool needs to be in lineups. Big fans of models. Rams wide receivers. Uh, Odell Beckham, 10 targets for five catches and 81 yards and a score this past weekend. Cooper Cup slowed down just a little bit. But slowing down for him is 10 targets, seven receptions, 96 yards. And even Van Jefferson is the one who's getting isolated in some spots. And when the safety rotates down, Matthew Stafford looks for him deep and that allowed him to have three catches for 93 yards and a score. So we mentioned that with you know, the wide receiver changes with Robert Woods out and how that's impacting the running back group. But there's also this little bird that pops up here on Sunday and Monday that says Matthew Stafford is dealing with chronic back issues. So where are we at with, because we know you're playing Cooper Cup every single week, but with Odell and Van Jefferson right now, Hayden. So right now, all three of them are top 12 in fantasy usage. I removed wow. uh, the Od- the first Odell Beckham game to like make it fair. Uh, but he, he played on 41 of 42 routes. He had 12.5 expected half PPR points. I think he's going to be used as the vertical threat. I mean, kind of like the Deshaun Jackson role. Obviously, he's better than Djax. Van Jefferson's probably going to be the one that starts tanking in usage. And I wouldn't be that surprised if Cooper Cup is more of like the wide receiver three or wide receiver five overall down the stretch, just because I, I can see them using uh, Cooper Cup in the Robert Woods role a little bit more than we'd like to see. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts here because we have the back injury. Um, but at the end of the day, this team plays with too much pace, too much neutral pass rate, and these three wide receivers are all good at the game. So um, I think that you should be starting at least Odell and Cooper cup in fantasy. And I think that maybe we can get another game out of Van Jefferson. If the matchups are good. I like van in terms of no one wants to play him each week. Like we, we got questions and even, you know, the production while it was only three catches on nine targets, he still had more than, than Odell in terms of yards. And he still got his touchdown. Like I, I still want piece of this offense. I just think it's, it's, they have to prove to me that they are what they were, you know, for the first five weeks. Cause that that's gone down quite a bit. And I, I do think the missing Robert Woods and how that's impacted Daryl Henderson and all of that is important too. And then now after that you throw in, no one ever used to have a bad back and then how, how that might go here moving forward. But um, yeah, there's a, they're, they're such a good team, like just yeah. overall and, I want to believe in them as we get to the playoffs, but they almost have to bring me back in to have them fully on board as like a top five unit as, as we hit the January period. That's fair. Uh, We forgot to say this during the running backs, but Daryl Henderson has at least some injury risk ahead of week 13. So if Sony Michelle is out there, he needs to be uh, picked up immediately. Um, We're speaking about all these running back insurance types. Sony Michelle, I will continue to reiterate it. Have him on your roster. If you're like top of your league, you don't need that last bench spot. Put him in there because the running back that's back there is probably going to have production despite of what we've seen kind of the last couple weeks. All right, more wide receivers. Keen Allen, Mike Williams. First of all, Keen Allen has been incredible the last five weeks despite just one touchdown. The loss to Denver, 10 targets, seven receptions, 85 yards. Uh, Mike Williams, after 97 yards in week 11, where we hope that they you know expanded the field, we only got 39 in, in week 12. 
It's a roller coaster. It's been that way since that blistering start in Haydenland. How do you view these two Chargers wide receivers and specifically Mike Williams? So obviously the the low A dot thing has been like the talk of the Chargers. They're still a pretty efficient offense overall, so I wouldn't panic. I will note that Matt Filer, their left guard, also missed last week. And I mean, I forget the guy's name who came in to replace him, but it was it was not pretty. And that really hurt uh Justin Herbert last week. And I think that a lot of the routes that Mike Williams is running are more of the deeper variety, and they're just not giving him enough time to kind of get open. Um, so I think that's why his his production has dropped off. I still think just this offense in general is way too good, even if it's frustrating at times. And over the last month, Mike Williams, wide receiver 24 fantasy usage. Keenan Allen clearly better right now, wide receiver 6 in usage, wide receiver 12 in half PPR points per game over the last month. Um, you just you just never know. Like If they can find the right matchup, either one of these players can go absolutely off. Um, so I only want to get so down on Mike Williams, but I think it's, it's fair to, to move him down to like more of like the wide receiver three and not like the borderline wide receiver one. Yeah. Just looking at it, it, the Mike Williams games and like Justin Herbert throwing down the field really coincide with how well this team is blocking, like against the Eagles, they only gave up six pressures against the Steelers only gave up nine pressures. And this past week against the Broncos, they gave up 19 pressures. Yep. And even in games where he's not, you know, showing off his ludicrous arm as much as he could outside the numbers, Justin Herbert is still making some threading the needle throws over the middle of the field. I truly don't think he's the issue. And maybe I'm just oh, not even close, boy, but not even close. And I, I guess the frustration though, is we know he can do it every single week. We just aren't able to see the opportunities yeah. uh, every single week. And I think some of the reasons why you outlined it uh, is, there's a lot of truth to that. They also have gone on a really dry spell on fourth down conversions. And like, th- those are stalling drives and he, they take some untimely sacks yeah. and it's when you watch them, you get frustrated, but you can see just, I mean, Eckler Keenan, Mike, Mike Williams and Justin Herbert, like that team can go crazy any, any single week. Um, so I'll call them wide receiver three, boom, bust, whatever you want to call them. I, th- I still think you need to be playing them. Marquise Brown has, been a really nice surprise all season long in terms of the volume that he's getting. I mean, he's changed from just a vertical player in this offense to one who's getting more and more opportunities closer to the line of scrimmage. And they're using his yards after catch capabilities. Um, now that also means again, lower yardage totals. He hasn't scored a touchdown since week seven. He's last two games out 37 yards, 51 yards, despite 13 targets, six receptions and 10 targets, eight receptions. Classic bounce back. I mean, wide receiver eight fantasy usage, wide receiver 22 over the last month and half PPR bounce back candidate. He's the only one that's playing full amount of routes right now. And I mean, this pains me to say it, but Rashad Bateman, he only ran 23 of 40 routes. And it was super clear when I went back mm-hmm. to watch it. Uh, the player that they keep getting involved is Devin Duvernay, who I kind of like because he's super explosive. Um, but I think that the, like going back to the running back conversation, because they're not running the ball as effective, they're getting Duvernay kind of the ball behind the line of scrimmage and letting him run. And I think yep. that's why he's kind of in, in the mix. And like, you're not going to be doing that to Rashad Bateman and Sammy Watkins. So I wouldn't be that surprised if Devin Duvernay's kind of just hanging around at least enough to kind of push Rashad Bateman down. at you right now, Rashad Bateman over the last month, wide receiver 40 
fantasy usage. Obviously, we had the non-Lamar game, and the, the Ravens have been playing a little bit worse of late, but he's not playing all the routes. Uh, I'll repeat it, 23 of 40 Week 12 routes last week. Again, this Marquise Brown chart for his routes is so different than I would have projected it heading into this year. I know that, like, again, Rashad missed a ton of time, didn't think Devin DuVernay or Sammy Watkins would have that huge of a role, but Mark Andrews is like the intermediate and at times downfield threat. So is yes. Sammy and, and Marquise is like the consistent element to all of it. They do a really good job though, of RPOs or creating space and, or having blockers out in front. And that does allow Marquise Brown other than this past weekend to have some yards after catch opportunities. Cause he did a few huge ones a few weeks ago. So, yeah. All right. We'll keep it rolling here with wide receivers. Darnell Mooney. Um, it sounds like Hayden, we're going to once again, get Andy Dalton out there. We've seen limited Allen Robinson in spots in recent weeks and Darnell Mooney and Andy Dalton have some nice little mojo and magic going. Don't they? They do. Uh, Darnell Mooney wide receiver, 11 fantasy usage. He's had 17.1 and 11.3 expected half PPR points in the two games. Allen Robinson's missed, uh, on a, I saw a practice report from a couple days ago. I got a walkthrough and, uh, Justin Fields and Allen Robinson weren't participating. So Darnell Mooney, he's in your lineup. It's as simple as that. They can't throw the ball to anybody else. And he's a pretty inconsistent player in my opinion, but they scheme him touches and he has plenty of ceiling because he runs like a legit four, three and has been popping uh, up downfield, like all the time. We're getting a bunch of questions. If, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up. We're getting just a bunch of questions. I keep mentioning and you keep mentioning the fantasy usage model. It outlines the last four weeks. Yep. And you eliminate games that should be eliminated. Like if they leave with an injury in the first quarter, uh, if something happens that kind of skews the entire dynamic, like a total blowout and they only play a half. Any other details that you want to throw in there for what it entails and, and why it's more meaningful than, you know, looking at fantasy points per game, fantasy scoring since week one, because as we talk about on this show each and every week, the NFL schedule is kind of in pockets and teams change so yep. much in five to six week periods. Yeah. So I tested it and the fantasy usage model is most predictive. If I take the average of the first or the last four games. Now I'm sure if I skewed with the numbers a little bit more, I kind of like weighted it over like recent games. I can even get a little bit better, but I picked four because it had some predictive power, more predictive power than the actual fantasy points. And if I did it like an eight game sample, like what happens is these like backup running backs that get thrusted into the lineup, like, they are just absolutely tanked. So that's why I always have the context notes in it. And I remove games where players leave early. And when I like, I'll note if there's like an obvious sample difference, like what I do with Darnell Mooney, like obviously when Allen Robinson's out, that helps Darnell Mooney. So um, it's a model, but I add the context notes and I remove games that don't matter to like the sample for going into the week. So not perfect. That's why we have like the show in the context notes, I think. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Okay. Bengals time at wide receiver. Uh, Jamar Chase was outstanding for weeks and weeks and weeks. No more than 49 yards, though, in a game since week seven. And then this past weekend, just three targets, three catches for 39 yards for rookie Jamar Chase. Meanwhile, since week seven, T. Higgins has 97 yards, 78 yards. And on Sunday, six catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. A slow start for him, 
but now he is outproducing it because truly, and I mean this, and I'll show you in a little bit, defenses are focusing in and paying so much attention to Jamar Chase that's opening things up downfield for T. Higgins. When I rewatched this game, I couldn't believe how many one-on-one opportunities there were for T. Higgins uh, on the perimeter. And that's why he had a huge game. And uh, I remember talking about when they were playing the Raiders, I was like, oh, this is going to be the T. Higgins game because it was all the plays like this. And yeah, I was just a week early and T. Higgins dominated in the exact ways that he can win. And they're putting him in positions to show off his strengths and hide his weaknesses. Um, We've just seen Jamar Chase run really slow on deep targets recently after being the most efficient player in the NFL to start. So um, the fantasy usage model hated Jamar Chase early on because he was balling. And then now it loves him because he's still getting a lot of those same looks. He just hasn't been coming home with them. So uh, you have to be starting Jamar Chase uh, right now. T Higgins is wide receiver 29 in fantasy usage. You're always running the risk of if Joe Mixon gets hot, they're just running with him the entire time. Or if Jamar Chase gets hot, it's only going to him. So he's extremely boom bust. But Joe Burrow had an excellent game last week. I was really impressed by his throws outside the numbers. Speaking of uh, Joe Mixon getting hot, they do have the Los Angeles Chargers this weekend. So, Oh, baby. There are three-point favorites at home, I believe, too. If you're on that line early, hammer the Bengals. Because how they're set up right now, on offense, they can totally smash what the Chargers are doing, who are last and I think, defensive EPA over the last few weeks. I do want to outline this play because so often we say like, oh, when this team adds X receiver, it will draw more attention from someone else or someone getting double teamed. And again, we bring up two high safeties and two high shells so much. This is true single high stuff here yep. from the Pittsburgh Steelers. But look how much that single high safety as it goes along is shaded towards Jamar Chase's side. I mean, yep. it truly is a one-on-one matchup for T. Higgins on the outside. And it's not just this past weekend that he was seeing these, as you said. He was seeing them earlier this season, too, but it was 50-50 balls because that's what he is. He's a contested catch receiver, and they weren't 50-50. He was losing, you know, 70-80% of those. And now he wins it. He wins it. And so that can regress because that is his strength in his game, and he should see these more and more often. And while as you've talked about all season long with the Bengals, and they are such a fascinating use case each week for this show. They don't throw the ball deep that much, yep. that much. They are, they choose very selective times for it. And Joe Burrow is much better there this year than he was last year. Jamar Chase was very good at that early on and hyper-efficient on those opportunities. And then maybe as we go along, T Higgins can be that. But then if T Higgins starts to excel there too, then boom, that opens things back up for Jamar Chase. As well, it makes sense when looking at the production why teams would shade on Chase's side than Higgins. And now Higgins has to, you know, make good on those opportunities. And if that's the case, then boom, you have two vertical playmakers too. Yeah, we have a question from Ben in the chat about Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd right now is the wide receiver 68 in fantasy usage. I have him in a 10 team league and I'm about to drop him for um, Taysom Hill. I'm allegedly betting or putting a big waiver claim in for Taysom Hill. So hopefully my <laughs> league baits aren't listening. Go from the Bengals. Let's look at the 49ers. Debo Samuel. Everything that the 49ers are doing right now offensively is forcing defenses to hesitate. Now I'll outline in a couple plays here in a moment. Um, but what Debo is doing is switching over to running back more so than wide receiver. I mean, just from a production standpoint, one catch for 12 yards. Now, 
He's gotten tons of receiver production. That was kind of tongue-in-cheek, me saying that. But he did take six carries for 66 yards and two scores. Uh, he's a model breaker. Yes. That's simple. Can confirm. <laughs> it, it, so he came for my uh, deep passing model. He came for uh, the touchdown model. And then yak. all of a sudden, he the yak model destroyed that one. And then recently, he's been uh, – it's the rushing touchdown model. He Like all of his rushing touchdowns are from 20 yards out too. So – uh, yeah, he's number one in fantasy points uh, above expectation. Um, it sounds like we're not going to get him for a week or two. Um, but, yeah, he's just been incredible. It's him and, and Cordero Patterson are just by far the most efficient players uh, among the skill guys right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this and Nick Wagner over on via Roto World, but him on Twitter, saying that Coach Kyle Shanahan said that Debo with this groin injury expect to miss one or two weeks. Matt Barrows says that Jawan Jennings would fill in as the 49ers number two wide receiver. Both of those things make me even more excited about our conversation with Eli Mitchell because they're not going to put Jawan Jennings in the backfield or Brandon Ayuk as much in terms of these manufactured touches. Anyways, I want to outline this one play. And Cal Posey did a stream on this. If you want to go check it out on his Twitter feed, it's exceptional. And again, Nate Tice has talked about this. All of the window dressing all of the movement, all putting these pieces in different spots just forces even well-coached defenses like what the Vikings are in pickles. It, it forces them to think and to hesitate. And anytime you have the offense running at full speed with great athletes, which what the 49ers have, any hesitation, it's done. So here in the backfield, as you can see, you have Depot. Left side of Jeremy Garoppolo is a running back. And then Kyle Juszczyk obviously is the right side. Jeff Wilson, because this is still 21 personnel, despite being in shotgun with two backs, is lined up as kind of an H-back. He's a lead blocker in a lot of this. So we see him work across the formation here, snap to Debo. And then if you look at over top, the middle linebacker, 59, I believe it is, he just is trying to work through trash. And so when you get Kyle Juszczyk, your fullback, your H-back, as a perfect block, you get guards and tackles ceiling and getting to the second level. You get Brandon Ayuk working backside and there are Brandon Ayuk clips now on Twitter that are incredible of him destroying people 15, 20 yards down the field. Like those mind games that Kyle Shahan was working or the season have paid off here. And you just get Debo with the ball. And once you get him to the edge, he's gone. So it's again, all these different pieces. They might run the same play back to back. In fact, they did a couple weeks ago against the Rams and one was Debo carrying the ball. One was Eli Mitchell. Same exact thing, but all the players are in different positions. And he's getting it to a point where defenses can't anticipate or plan or practice for all the different alignments and where players are. So like, if they're confused immediately, snap it quick, you're gone. So hated the 49ers early on. Felt like it was man mismanagement all over the place. But now we sit here in what? Week 13, all the explosive players are back at receiver. They've got a good thing going in the backfield. The quarterback makes plays over the middle of the field. And it's beautiful. It's so much. They're one of my favorite watches week to week right now, too. Yeah, for like the last five years, it's been one of the most efficient offenses. Like Jimmy G's historical numbers, like his yards per attempt is always super high. And it's just because everything is wide open in the middle of the field. Like all these plays, you, you're stretching them horizontally. And then whenever you show, you always get so mad about his his um throw throw charts on next gen stats because it's all over the middle. Well, it's because every linebacker in safety is yeah. running to the edge because of all the play action. And if you weren't, then Debo Samuel and Eli Mitchell are gonna keep shredding you. So that's why it's always just 
dink and dunk over the middle and yards after the catch. So yeah, beautiful offense. And with Debo out, I know he hasn't gotten a ton of receiving production, but would it be crazy for Brent Ayuk to have his best game of the season or George Kittle to have his best game of the season? Absolutely not. Like those are absolutely in the realm of possibilities too. So it's a, it's a fun watch. All right. Hunter Renfro. His first 100 yard game of the season, which is crazy when you consider how highly he's ranked in the fantasy usage model, where he's kind of morphed into their best red zone option as well on Thanksgiving. Nine targets, eight receptions, 134 yards for Hunter Renfro. Now, he is not Deshaun Jackson. He is not viewed as a vertical playmaker. So this isn't, you know, something I think that is something we can take week in and week out. But it just speaks to his importance to this offense for now and the rest of the season. Yeah, he's not like a super high ceiling guy, but he's the wide receiver 17 in half PPR over the last month and the wide receiver 19 in usage since the Henry Ruggs uh release so yeah like i don't care if he doesn't have deshaun jackson wheels he is a fantasy starter right now okay we'll keep it moving i need to bring out the production as we go along jarvis landry jarvis landry went over 100 yards this past weekend baker mayfield is absolute garbage out on a football field right now i know he's dealing with shoulder injury a few other things as well but uh, some of us have had that take for quite a while here with with baker mayfield but it's very clear that this team is struggling with creating explosive plays in the running game because defenses, because of Baker's injuries, are crowding the box even more. Sometimes that can be successful when the blocking is correct and you still have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt back there. But the passing production, since it's not you know, a downfield element, the most consistent piece is still Jarvis Landry, and he's still getting home, it feels like, Hayden. He's averaging 11.3 expected half PPR points since the Odell trade. He's currently the wide receiver 21 in usage. I don't think that he's like an above average player and the the environment seems pretty bad, but I'm with Ben. Like he's kind of like it's Miles Gaskin, it's Jarvis Landry. It's the old Jarvis Landry. He's getting the usage that he wants because none of the other, like the tight ends are struggling. The other wide receivers are injured and not very good. So right now, the it's just Jarvis Landry season, even in half PPR. Yeah. It's the opposite of like what defenses do to the chiefs and the bills. Like defenses are inviting the Browns to pass. And like, that's not Donald people's Jones. That's not really Austin Hooper. It can be occasionally David and Joku. So like, as long as the competent quarterback plays average, then Jarvis Landry, like you said, can hit his 11.3 points. Hopefully. Even if he sucks, that means that they're down on the scoreboard. He's just going to get peppered with six-yard <laughs> targets. So, like, right. I don't know. He seems solid. Cowboys wide receivers. Omari Cooper is off the COVID list, is back in the building, but, quote, still not feeling the best. Go get your booster. Same. Yes. Uh, still has a cough. Quote, to be determined whether he'll practice, and this was today, I believe. Yes. yes. This was today. So on Thanksgiving, we got C.D. Lamb and we no, we got Michael Gallup. Um, where are we at? Where are we at with these Cowboys wide receivers? Because, again, I mentioned that they face the New Orleans Saints here on Thursday. Um, I'm still in on the Cowboys because I'm a crazy person. I'm a lunatic. But it would be better off if they were like the 49ers and they had all five of their best pieces all at the same time. Yeah, Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb is good enough for me, though. So Michael Gallup, 
wide receiver 22 in fantasy usage. He's had 13.9 and 10.3 expected half PPR points in his last two starts. I think that you should be firing him up if Amari Cooper is not in the lineup. Obviously, C.D. Lamb is in. Um, yeah, there's no reason to be worried about the Dallas Cowboys. No team wins without their best players, and that's been the Cowboys like the last month. I think that's fair. Let's show them who they really are for the rest of the season. Hayden. Uh, Kendrick Bourne. This is a name I threw in here at the last second. Hopefully, you can find him on the YouTube. I'll scroll down. Oh, come on. More fantasy points per game, Hayden, than Chase Claypool, your boy, Devontae Smith, Cortland Sutton, even your other guy in Jacoby Myers. That's where we're at with Kendrick Bourne right now. And that's all despite zero 100-yard receiving games for him. This past Sunday, six targets, five catches, 61 yards, and two touchdowns. I would say he plays a very, Minghan, get out of here, a very important role for this team. He's their contested catch player. He's their red zone threat other than Hunter Henry here at this moment. Um, as we alluded to with their schedule, Bills, Colts, Bills again. I'm guessing all those teams are going to say, hey, we're going to do our best to stop your blockers, stop your runners. And so Jacoby Myers is still playing great, but Kendrick Bourne, low key, pretty good fantasy player this year. Kendrick Bourne can play. I think he provides a, a, a role and a, a specialty role that the Patriots don't have. He's still, I mean, he had that beautiful catch and run for a touchdown, um, but he is wide receiver 55 in usage and he's third in routes and he's like kind of a distant third in routes. Um, and he basically only plays in three wide receiver sets. So I think he's a better real life player than like fantasy player. And this was a beautiful thrown catch in the corner of the end zone. Um, but this is like, fake production to me just because it's comes on it comes on so little volume like you can't bank on this type of play like you can roll the clip on this one great play i mean this is the yards after the catch play great play down the sideline make made a guy miss but like you the model hates 50 50 yard yards after the catch place like that's that's what my model is really good at identifying there where was he again wide receiver 55 in usage yeah Look he must have the biggest discrepancy of fantasy points versus usage on either chart for running backs and wide receivers. He has to be. Yeah, it'll be close. Yeah, he's definitely high up for the last, last four weeks. Uh, okay, let's talk about the Seahawks wide receivers because DK Metcalf got a cool 1.8 half point PPR points for uh, everyone out there on Monday Night Football. Did not get a reception until the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, Tyra Lockett is at least getting moon balls. And I also want to throw in Gerald Everett in there quickly. Because Gerald Everett, since Russell Wilson has returned, I believe has a 21% target share, which is the highest in the league, only behind Mark Andrews. Um, so where are we at? Like DK, name brand, quality player. We all know, we all love. But it feels like with this version of Russ, both of these wide receivers absolutely cannot succeed. What are you supposed to do about this? Like I know. Well, you're already screwed. You're already effed using your terms, Good. if DK Metcalf has been on your team all season. Yes, probably. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. When I'm watching Russ, it's very clear he is not accurate right now. And I think, obviously, that's because of the finger. The part that worries me more for, like, just the, not just this year, but moving forward is, does he not look like he's, like, scrambling a little bit slower than usual? Oh, yeah. Like, all of we that stuff. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Like, it, he doesn't have... That quick factor, that those those fast twitch muscles, 
anymore. Like, yeah. and when he was able to do the hokey pokey in the backfield and turn himself around and make all these beautiful moonshots down the field or things that weren't planned in the play, that was easier to do five years ago, two children ago than it is now. Yeah. My wife, when we were watching the game, she said, is that Russell wow. Wilson? He looks, he looks thick with two, two C's. That's what she said. And I said, I agree. We were just talking about this on the podcast. So yeah. unbiased viewer says he's looking thick. I don't know. It, to me, it's just like, he's not drew Brees in the pocket has never been not even close. And if all of his best production comes from him scrambling and throwing beautiful passes downfield, like, does that not seem like the thing that's going to be the first thing to disappear? So I don't know. This is the worst he's played by by far. It wasn't just missing throws either. There was a couple wide open receivers that he was not seeing over the middle, which has been kind of a little bit of a storyline throughout his career too. We are 100% headed this summer towards the Seahawks picking either between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. I think we're 100% headed there. Oh, yeah. We could also be in a dynamic where DK Metcalf pulls a Stephon Diggs if Russell Wilson stays. I, I wouldn't think that that's out of the realm of possibility here based on some DK Metcalf comments when Gina was in there and based on this production. But it also could change. Like DK is so talented enough. We know that Russ has done it in the past for them to get hot for a period of time. And that's that's certainly possible. I brought this up, by the way. Look at these round end of round one and round two running backs this year compared to like the wide receivers going in that range. Like DK has been fine. DeAndre Hopkins has been above average this year. We know what's happened to Calvin Ridley. Diggs has not been what he was last year, but good. But a lot of these second round and late first round running backs have totally smashed. This is all from, you know, the final week of fantasy draft season. So like a combo of Austin Eckler and Jonathan Taylor. Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, and Joe Mixon. Goodness gracious. Running back, running back starts or anchor running backs as well. That was a jamming. And all those 101s, 102s that you strive for. Yeah. Back half of round one is where it's at. That's what I was going to say. It's like if you were drafting 108 to 112, like you made some money. Yep. Just fun to look back on. And we'll have more of that as we go along later this season. LaVisca Chenault. I think he played 80 to 90% back in the slot where his home is supposed to be. Yet uh, Laquan Treadwell had more receiving production at the end of the day. I'm just bringing that up. And, and to be honest with you, nine targets, I believe it was for LaVisca Schnott here on Sunday. The issue is it's in an offense that just absolutely sucks at the moment. Drive in and drive out. Season high, 13.2 expected half PPR points. Not a surprise because he's playing the position he should be playing in. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of turns into a full PPR flex option down the stretch. Um, it's time to buy back in Broncos wide receivers. Um, Cortland Sutton at one point was like the NFL leader in air yards. That was without Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy's back. Now they aren't throwing like Period. The magic that was bottled that Teddy had earlier in the year where he was like one of the best deep ball passers in, in the league. It's all evaporated. They're all under contract. They've been giving, dishing out money as well. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is all are getting DK Metcalf here at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I think just like the, the big picture from this show is how many times have we talked about, oh, all that deep target production and then like how it's disappeared. Hmm. Maybe that's a thing that we can measure. And yeah. there's a reason why Unless it's a little it's Josh volatile. Allen and like Patrick Mahomes, then like, Hey, yeah, maybe these guys can't throw downfield consistently. 
Yeah, sure. When Teddy Bridgewater is leading the league in 20 plus air yard throws and it's all on the money, like I'm shocked that it hasn't been sustainable. Corlin Sutton. So I have um, 70 wide receivers ranked on this and I have to have a cutoff at some point. Corlin Sutton did, did not make the top 70 in fantasy usage over the last month. Pretty crazy. And uh, Jerry Judy is like wide receiver. Where is he at? Uh, Tim Patrick's wide receiver 50. Jerry Judy's wide receiver 31 in usage. So hmm. that's that's like wide receiver 31 in usage when Cortland Sutton isn't getting a single target. So like, I don't know. I don't think you want any of these guys. Who's the most random name that makes the list above Cortland Sutton? Score to the bottom, if you will. Um, Kenny Galladay? Yeah. Zay Jones, Ray Ray McLeod? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's tough. Wes Watkins, James Washington. Yikes. Deontay Harris. Yeah. It's it's not good for, for Cortland Sun. Zach Pascal. Yeah. Deontay Harris, I think, probably makes the top of the list. Okay. A couple more. Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony. I think I saw Tony on there at wide receiver 51. I couldn't take much from like a Freddie Kitchens led Nothing. Team, you know, I, I mean, I learned nothing about them this past weekend. I know Tony was out. I know Shepard's out. It was Darius Slayton and Kenny Galladay and all that stuff. It would just be a crime based on. The situation that the Giants find themselves in for these, you know, final six, five games of the year. If they don't try to figure out exactly what they have in Kadarius Tony, that if he can live on the outside, right? Because that's going to be a big question heading into 2022 of Sterling Shepard was awesome in the slot where he played there. Tony was great in moments on inside and outside. Could obviously do both. Health is health and you can't predict that, but they need to have that tandem work for the rest of the season and figure out a way to do that. Yeah. You just can't trust any of these guys. Um, I do want to plug real quick. If you can pull this up for me, uh, my rankings for the sophomores and juniors tournament on underdog, where it's, you're only taking the last year's draft class and the year before that you have like a smaller draft size and you're drafting for next year. Um, I have rankings for that are uploadable to underdog and I have, these player blurbs looking at contracts and all that stuff. And I wanted to bring it, bring it up because Sterling Shepard has a $12.4 million cap hit, but zero guaranteed. Most likely he's going to be out. So Kadarius Tony could be the slot receiver uh, starting next year because Kenny Gall is locked up. Darius Slayton's probably going to be on this team still, and he'll probably be the slot receiver moving forward. But we want him to be the slot receiver that also plays in 12 personnel. Yes. I think he can do that. Yes. Just, that's a callback to other Hayden Winksisms from oh yeah you know, preseason shows as well. We'll close with Elijah Moore. Um, NFL's YouTube channel posted a best plays from Zach Wilson this past weekend. How short was that? It was about two minutes and included about three or four plays that were you know four yard dump offs. Um, I think Elijah Moore was kind of in and out of this game a little bit. Uh, he I think barely just missed his pick'em line as well. What I did see though from Zach Wilson, there was a third down play where in other instances he would have rolled out to the left or to the right and looked down the field. Instead for this one, he truly clearly with his eyes and with his shoulders went to his third read and hit Brian Griffin for like a third and four or a third and five conversion. So at the very least that is, that's a positive that we can move forward with, but that was, you know, one of the easier matchups he could expect for the rest of the year. Yeah, he had wide receiver two usage. Obviously, you get Zach Wilson, and you're not going to live up to that. And 
uh, we'll be tracking Corey Davis to see when he returns. Cause obviously he was out here. So who knows? He, this might just be a, a better player to have next year, but we've seen the talent and you and I are going to be drafting him a ton this off season. I'm sure. Yeah. They had a manufactured touch for him. They had like deep digs down the field as well. Um, he's definitely one to track. Yep. He's definitely one to track. All right. Tight ends. Hayden, we're telling the people to go check out the fantasy usage model over on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. Quick peek at it. Trying to find the name that I just brought up. Gerald Everett. There he is. Titan 14. Interesting. That's trending up. He was like what he was in like the tight end 28 type of range. Uh Gronk tight end two in usage. And that's like if you look at it like on the back end, I have it for the entire season. That's where he is too. Just absolutely shredding again. Of all these names at the tight end spot. Number seven and Tyler Higby is uh or number six, I should say. That's that's frustrating because like all the usage and the targets and where they are all lines up with someone who should have a lot more production than he has this year. And coming into this season, his like yards per route run and all those metrics were like right in line with like classic tight end ones. So we nailed we thought he was good and we nailed the usage and then just getting absolutely nothing out of it. It's pretty it's pretty crazy. And I, I can't outline the reasons why Kyle Pitts is in a slump too. I mean, he doesn't seem to be a full-time player for them right now. Um, also Cordell Patterson being out changes the entire success of the offense as a whole. Uh, but we had so many amazing weeks where he was getting matched up perfectly and utilized perfectly. And it feels like some of that has just evaporated. But as we know, like I think that offense scored single digits and back-to-back weeks because the offensive line couldn't protect and they had no one that was explosive other than him on the field. Yeah, I looked at like just inline versus slot and all that stuff. Nothing's really changed recently. So it's just been in a rookie slump. So we'll see. He's still so good. If he finishes the tight end one overall this week, I would not be surprised. But I understand why we would be frustrated with it. Uh, Do you want me to quickly pull up the playoff best ball ADP? Let's do it. I'll find it for you right now. Boom. There it is. Here we go. Bunch of wide receivers to start off. And Devontae Adams, can you pull up the standings, by the way, so we see who number one is on both sides? Um, Because that's a big part of this. Because obviously, if the team has a first-round buy, only the number one teams in the AFC and the NFC, you get a zero. But, obviously, hopefully those teams stay on so you don't get zeros the rest of the way other than they're just one game that plays. Anyways, top quarterback drafted, Kyler Murray, then Patrick Mahomes, then Josh Allen, then Dak Prescott. At the running backs, it's Aaron Jones, then Zeke, then Daryl Henderson, then Leonard Fournette. Fournette at four is uh that's one that stands out to me, Hayden. Anything jump out to you with any of this? So like the biggest thing is you gotta go. I use 538 for 538. Unabated also has a cool simulator. You have to look to see like what their odds are of having a first round buy, winning the Super Bowl, all that type of stuff. And that's gotta factor in. So um I don't I understand why Leonard Fournette will like is ranked that high because the bucks can win the super bowl and uh as it sits right now they're most likely not going to have a first round buy so that's like the best case that's, scenario. that's what i mean it attracts me that i might have him ahead of a daryl henderson or even yes. ahead of zeke where he's at right now like Leonard Fournette truly is in the conversation for maybe the number one or number two running back off the board for me yeah i i totally agree just make sure you're stacking an afc team with an nfc team it's as simple as that and you have to be stacking because it's 
your players are going to be getting eliminated. And if you just want to get lucky that you just aced your two stacks of the two teams that are in the Super Bowl. Yeah. All right. We'll talk more about that as we go along. Uh, but playoff best ball is so, so, so much fun. You can draft now when the picture is less clear and find more value. You can draft later if you want to when the picture is more clear, but it's not just for you that it is. It's for other people as well. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. All right. We'll get out of here. One Rock, thank you. Ming Han, Lundar, some of our favorites. Jay Wyke is new. Benjamin, Ridley, appreciate all of you. We'll be back here on Thursday for the Game by Game preview show. As always, if you made it this far, help us out and smash the subscribe and smash the like button as well. For Hayden, I am Josh. Up the villa, everyone. Talk to you all soon. See ya. <laughs>